I've done it! It's my podcast now where I pick the topic and the music and everything. I have the power! Oh, hey there, Rena. Mind how recording intro? Uh, by all means, yes. I was just testing the microphone for you, the microphone we don't share. Okay, then. Well, folks, it's been another full travel around the sun for one of us. It's time for us to celebrate one more year of craziness. I mean, Ranikel. Welcome to the Music Arcade. Rana, it's your birthday. You go ahead and start this one. Welcome, everybody, to Music Arcade. I'm Ranikel. I'm Galen, the sound guy, Firestone. And I'm Eddie. And uh, why does the script tell me to kneel before the mighty French duck right now? I mean, you're I the one know. who wrote it. You tell me. You vastly overestimate our preparation. But yes, I happen to have a birthday as time of recording in a week, as time of posting even sooner, and so I decided to flex my authority, just like we did for that uh, Dancing Mad episode months before. That we never actually did. Exactly! Okay. <laughs> We're professionals, goddammit. <laughs> Well, um, for this one, you have brought us a game that has long been on my to-do list that I have just never gotten around to, and I keep meaning to. Yeah, and it just so happens to be the best video game on the 3DS. Bold claim, Period. there's some really good ones on there. Yeah, but this one has such a mix of charm and amount of content that, uh... I can't help but love it, and uh, it also happens to have, uh, at the soundtrack, uh, just Masahiro Sakurai flexing the connections he's made with uh, Smash and other projects, and decided, hey, uh, you uh, absolute all-star crew, wanna make music for my game? And, uh... We end up with Masafumi Takada and Motoi Sakuraba and Yuzo Koshiro and uh... Mitsuda. Yes, Mitsuda. And uh, on a project with a very unique and very engaging soundtrack that I wanted to talk about for a ride. And now I just get to. Now you just get to. Um, so Kid Icarus Uprising is one of those games that, like, I don't think it's sold super well, and, like, it's one of those games that everyone kind of talks about. It kind of reminds me, and this is going to be a weird comparison until I explain it, of the HBO TV show The Wire. Because it's one of those things yeah. that everyone professes to love, but very few people seem to have actually played. Yeah, I think part of it is that, uh... It's a single revival of a series that was 25 years old since its last installment. And part of it was that more than being about the game itself, uh, the fact that it launched was uh, more the story of the 3DS as a whole. Because the launch lineup for the 3DS was bad. <laughs> I was remember. A barren landscape for like a year, and then this came out, and then a Fire Emblem came out, and the rest is history. Yeah, I didn't even get my own 3DS until Link Between Worlds came out, so that was what, two years into it yeah. or so? 
yeah, and there's a reason my uh, 3DS has the Elysian crest on it. Because I cracked during the launch of Fire Emblem. And I certainly don't regret it. Honestly, based on the, the gameplay videos you've shared with us uh, pre-recording, the game also feels like it's a lot about Nintendo. Because there are references to Mario, it has more Metroids than an actual Metroid game. <laughs> yeah. Like, mm -hmm. It's only missing a Pokeball somewhere. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. But then again, I mean, no, no, I, I don't want to say that. Game Freak kind of pretends they're a second-party company, but they're not actually owned yes. by Nintendo. Indeed. They just release uh, most of their stuff for, you know, Nintendo platforms, but even that's not universal because Pokemon Go is mobile, obviously. And then there was that one game they made, Tembo the Badass Elephant, which was a super hard OG platformer, which I think that came out on Steam, so, yeah. Yeah, and I deeply appreciate that even when they go, uh, we are the Kirby guys and we are... Uh, those uh, big franchise uh, kind of caretakers, they still allow themselves to try and get a bit experimental. Yeah. And it's not always a glorious success, but I still appreciate that on a fundamental level. Speaking of experimental, this game's control scheme, I must mention it because it's also a throwback to another Nintendo era. See, uh, with one hand, you uh, move the direction pad and press the L button. With another hand, you can use the stylus to aim and move the camera. And with another hand, you can uh, support your 3DS because otherwise you are just holding it with uh, an edge. Yes, that's three hands. That's a throwback to the N64 era when you think Aha. about it. <laughs> I that, was wondering where you were going with that. Now that makes sense. And that's why they actually uh, sold the game when it, when it released with a special stand in order to <laughs> replace one of your hands. Oh, that's not a good sign when the uh, game requires a physical peripheral to actually play. Yeah. I'm now starting to understand some of this game's sales difficulties. I know, right? Shame on me for not having a third arm. Right? Messed up. Uh, but anyway, let's start talking a bit about uh, the music and at the same time about something Eddie mentioned, which is that uh, we have our uh, music playlist in order to have points of reference for what we are talking about. And this time I joined some gameplay videos corresponding to each of the music and there's a very good reason for that, because the way a lot of the tracks are composed uh, is very atypical. Yes. Because, because uh, half the levels, more or less, are linear corridor shooter. And as a result, the music knows exactly where you're going to be at what point the music happens, and so they play a lot with that in ways that don't necessarily make sense when the music stands alone, but when paired with the visuals and with the conversations and with the events that are happening in the level, make for something that's more or less cinematic, yet with video game uh, sensibilities. 
And so the first example of that is uh, more or less the level version of uh, the main game theme, The Return of Palutena, in which you are just thrown in the wild, like you get the main menu and the video, then you start the game, you run two steps and you're already flying and already shooting at things while you vaguely get tutorial info. Oh dear. Not the biggest fan of being thrown into the deep end, but it feels like this game could probably pull it off from what I saw from the gameplay video. Um, there's a lot of harp on this one. This one just goes yes. hard on the harp. And that's very important, because that's not the case on the later levels, and there will be a very good reason for that, which gives context to the harp. The harp is kind of Perutena's leitmotiv instrument. Makes sense, it's you know. It's to show her presence, and it makes sense to have picked that, because it's a very uh, divine-influenced weapon, and when you're playing an angel in service of a goddess, of light, no less. Hop just makes sense. It does. It does. It's it's meant to be cherubic. Um, I did notice that while this one is credited to both um, Sakuraba and Mitsuda, Sakuraba doesn't appear to come in until about a minute into the track is when yes. some of his compositional quirks start existing. Um, and yeah, then and it makes sense because, again, with the linear uh, travel time, uh, it can... I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, each uh, composer didn't uh, have a hand on the entire track, but, like, went with a little bit of a back and forth. It feels that way. the different movements of the track, if you will. It, it does feel that way. Very much so. Um... And that's in part of what you were saying before, that it's kind of a linear corridor shooter experience with very specific timing, so you can do that to time it with the level, which appears to be a lot of what's occurred, and we're going to be talking about that later for sure. Um, one other note that I had is that at about 1.40, it changes again, and this becomes a song that I feel like wouldn't sound out of place in Pokemon. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, there's this bit of a childish victory feeling. Yeah. Which, again, makes sense, because Pete is... He's a brave boy. <laughs> he's very... head empty, uh, doing the right thing, wherever it's pointed at. Uh, and... Uh, he's... lovable, but not very smart. Let's just say. I got that impression from the gameplay videos you showed, yes. I, I know very yeah, little about fair. about this character, given that I don't play Prince of Persia. Prince of Persia? I don't play Kid Icarus, and I don't play Smash Brothers. Where did I get Prince of Persia from? I don't know. You lost me no there. I lost I myself no there, idea, so... I have no idea, but the devs are, are, uh, are French. Hmm. But yeah, no, there's definitely this uh, feeling of um, valiance, but not bravado, of, like, a victory in the making. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's a march forward and a very nice reinterpretation of uh, the first stage theme from the original game. Yeah, I, I 
thought to myself that I've heard this one before, and I'm sure, or a version of this before at least, and I'm sure it's either like a remix on OC, remix of the original, or even just the Smash Brothers version or something. But this song definitely is in my head somewhere, so it's not like yeah. unknown to me. Yeah, and uh, the fact that it has this uh, ascension feeling to it uh matched what was the gameplay at the time because it was an action platformer on DNS, but instead of going forward for this section anyway, you went up. There was a screen wrap all around and you just went uh, up and up and the music kind of accompanied that. Mm -hmm. So it gives uh, on this reinterpretation uh, this uh, feeling of ascension and of pushing you forward in the air. Overall, nice stuff and a nice way to uh, get thrown into the mix with a bang. Uh, now then, let's move on to the next track, which is a character theme this time. Yeah! Because it's not all linear shooters. Uh, there's uh, essentially a flying section that lasts up to five minutes due to low reasons. If it lasts longer than that, pit swings burn. And uh, once that's done, you take the second part of the mission on the ground. Uh, generally, you have the level theme and then the boss theme. But for the second mission, you, has, you also have uh, a helping ally with uh, Magnus. I can't believe he's not played by Steve Bloom. <laughs> Am I yeah, wrong? No, he he looks like a pretty stereotypical Steve Bloom character, right? Oh yeah, no, he definitely does. If it looks like Wolverine, he looks like a Steve Bloom character, and exactly. he looks like Wolverine with a sword. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Dude with a Sword has a bit of a history when it comes to uh, not quite this game, but close enough. I believe it was on a preview uh, Smash tournament in an official Nintendo event, maybe a pre-release uh, thing, and uh, there was some color commentary because it's a Nintendo uh, official stuff. There were also items including assist trophies. And so on the very first showing, uh, the color commentators show one of the players unleash an assist trophy in Smash, which was an assist trophy of Magnus hitting people with a sword, except, critically surprising, isn't that widely known, so they were just briefly confused before saying excited, excitedly, it's dude with a sword! Oh, dude with a sword, he's my favorite! <laughs> oh boy. Um, oh boy. I, I have to admit, being a little surprised, there were at some point Nintendo-sanctioned Smash tournaments, given how much they hate that scene these days. No, they hate Melee. Oh. That's not the same. Oh, well, the articles I read gave the impression that they hated all Smash. Never mind. I mean, maybe they do, especially since then, but... I think it's more that they hate Smash that isn't happening right under their direct control. And Melee has a big following, that tracks. Yeah. But uh, for all the improvised... Uh, clumsiness of uh, that uh, anecdote. The fact is that 
dude with a big sword is kind of Magnus's main characteristic, which is in the context of the game impressive because there are these uh, angels going down fighting the armies of uh, the underworld as gods battling it up and there's just this dude that matches speed with you. And uh, the theme of course reflects that uh, level of mundane heroism of human determination. Yeah. I mean, it's got a bunch of string sweeps, it's got a bunch of horns, it's not really what I'm used to out of Koshiro, but, you know, it, it it sells what it's trying to sell. Yeah, it's not the most Koshiro of tracks uh, in this uh, OST, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we'll talk about the most Koshiro tracks for certain, but, uh, yeah, no, that's uh, very much about the character, and uh, it's works well to kind of change the tone, especially given the track that came before uh, about uh, this uh, entry on the grounds of Dark Lord Gaul. And uh, he comes as backup, not necessarily uh, somebody that even gets you out of direct trouble, but somebody that is there to help and to remind you in a way of what you as an angel is supposed to fight for, mm -hmm. because you are nominally on the side of humanity. I, I think I, my opinion on that track itself is a bit more muted, because like, uh, I I appreciate the orchestration, and it does its job really well as uh, a theme for a big human warrior gloriously being able to fight against demons that supposedly humans shouldn't be able to fight against. Yes. Uh, at least not on their own. Exactly. But like, uh, I felt like I've heard similar themes in a dozen other games or anime. It's yeah. Yeah. a bit of an average Japanese triumphant warriors theme. Yeah, no, that's it fair. It's pretty generic. In fact, to the point where on the lead up to the stage, they kind of riff on the fact that it's the second stage and you're already uh, going on a story about a brave hero needed to defeat the Dark Lord. And um, uh, they are very much playing off on that cliché. Yeah, I definitely like this one, but um, it doesn't set the world on fire, that's for sure. Yes, it doesn't really break new ground, and I think that's on purpose. It, it seems that way, yeah. What is definitely more unusual is the next track. This song is wild. Yeah, I like Thunderous to call Labyrinth of Deceit. Yeah, I, I like to call this one uh, Sakuraba's Labyrinth of Deceit because that synth was a thing. You say that, but while there is some Sakuraba weirdness, I feel the weirder part I will attribute to Masafumi Takeda. Yeah, this didn't really feel like a Sakuraba to me too much. I mean, I could hear his influence in there, but the composition was a little too all over the place. He has, like, this prog rock background that he always, always, always relies on. This is not that. Yeah. Um, but kind of felt... in part because any progression you would have in the level is occasionally stuck, but stop and start that I appreciate more than the both of you combine and then some, but that's justified in gameplay because you uh, face in part some 
literal Wiley Coyote moments. Yeah. When you're just going down a corridor and suddenly the level is painted on a wall you were about to crash into. Uh, mm. Yeah, I, I, I get that that vibe as well. The the thing I got with this with this piece was that uh, it, it felt like Takada did sort of the intro and outro, let's say the the whole orchestral a bit, and Sakuraba just threw his uh, synth solo in the middle, just just cause. Uh, Incidentally, the your orchestrated bit, uh, it reminds me of a different composer, uh, no, one it. called uh, Kaoru Wada. Hmm. Wada, I, I am not 100% familiar with his work, and spoilers, this is only the first of a few composers that the soundtrack re reminded me of. <laughs> but uh, it specifically reminded me of his work in uh, the anime and here's here's a title for you record of Lodos war colon chronicles of the heroic knight because apparently long titles are the Lodos war trademark or something sure fun fact there is a like light novel that is only its title and it's 173 pages long <laughs> and then there's a, a bunch of spin-offs with long subtitles yeah but yeah, it uh, it reminded me a lot of uh, of his compositions for for that uh, anime because it has a lot of well, not just this track but this was the first one I I noticed it a lot. It has uh, a big focus on on the brass when it goes into the orchestral bit. Yeah, uh, and that was kind of a trademark for that anime soundtrack in my mind. It's uh, the the songs I remember from from that series are always either the ones with Latin chant in the middle for whatever reason, or the ones with big brass energy, as I believe the kids call it. <laughs> Fair. But it's yeah, a cool it, track. A cool it track. goes places. It even has, like, kind of crushed down, corrupted versions mm -hmm. of the main menu theme. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has that stop and start. It has also that more retro sound that matches the visuals, which are basically, after four levels of the game, we're like, okay, we know this looks like Star Fox. Here, have something that looks even more like Star Fox now. You were totally playing Star Fox for a chunk of this one. Star Fox where yeah, you're I mean, shooting Metroids too, which I thought was amazing. Exactly. I was about to say, let's just... Let's just quote what Galen said on our Discord, that it's, uh, in a, uh, a Kid Icarus game, you're beating Metroids while you're playing Star Fox. Exactly. And I just put Although cool at me after that, because, like, what else can I say? That's just cool. Yeah. Also, um, it deserves mention that while the Star Fox part is new, Metroids were also in the original Kid Icarus. I did not know that. So, uh, when I was listening to this song... On its own, it was a miserable experience. I am like, yeah. just want to slap something. But then I watched the gameplay video, and it all clicked in the pay into place. This thank is... you that vindicates me yeah. putting the gameplay video on the side. Absolutely, because if you had just given me this song, I would have been like, "What is this Garbo? What are you doing to me?" 
But having okay. seen the gameplay video and how like this is a real, this is a real test case for scoring versus songwriting. You're not writing the song in a vacuum. You're writing it to a specific set piece, and in the context exactly. of the set piece, the song works wonderfully. Its jankiness is a feature, not a bug. It's just terrible to listen to on the soundtrack because it's not edited together. It's just playing the, it's just playing the level version. Um, yeah. but in the context, like all of these wacky scene changes and all of the like, deliberate stops and starts are reflected in the music, and that makes the music work. Exactly. Couldn't have put it better myself. That's the music serving the purpose of the level, and that's the most apparent in this track. Absolutely. And, and I love it for it. I just never yeah. want to listen to it without the gameplay again. <laughs> man, that was gross. I didn't have that much issue with this track, but I did have that with uh, one that's coming up in a bit. Oh, oh looking spoilers. Oh, Fair okay. enough. All the more reason to move forward to another character theme that's also a, a level theme, which is Dark Pit, and which is a Sakuraba being his most Sakuraba in the soundtrack. I, I disagree with that statement here. strenuously. Yeah. I, oh. I have my episode notes for this one, and for this song in particular, it's just four words, so I, I would like to uh, quote them directly. By all means. Those words are, love them Spanish guitars. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, this one, the intro is like Shades of Gerudo. Um, yes. Which, uh, uh, The yeah. intro, which is uh, Dark Pit's character theme, basically you have that on the level, and then there are two other versions of that theme in the game. Uh, and maybe that's because I have this point of comparison that I didn't like, that it feels very much more to me that this is the Sakura source added to this existing base of uh, Dark Pit's theme. Ah, because, you know, his synth does come in at points, but, like, it's not obtrusive, and he's got that really good bass line that he's so good at. But one thing, like, I wrote in my notes, very happy he manages not to lose the plot. He keeps coming back to the main hook and landing it, which... Yes. This was... I, I will come to a conclusion about this in a later song of his, but, um... Hmm. I really appreciate this one. Like, it's a very complete song, which is something that Sakuraba has not been good at lately. Yeah. And, uh... I... I agree with the fact that it definitely goes somewhere. And yeah. that somewhere is interesting because in spite of the caricatural name Dark Pit, which they don't even always use in the game, uh, it's more than just Pit, but it's evil. The more fun part being that uh, the ever-assumed reliable uh, Goddess Palutena that guides you uh, throughout the stages assumes very much that simplified bit, but is evil, and he kind of proves himself uh, in very interesting way because he is created by uh, breaking a magical mirror in the previous stage. But what defines Pit is not the goodness of his heart so much as his loyalty to his goddess and 
as a result, the dark reflection of that is Dark Pit's fierce independence. And I feel that the uh, Spanish guitar very much uh, wild theme and even the wild sacrabaisms uh, help sell the independent part of uh, his character. Um... I, I, I had a comment and it's Spanish. gone. No, I, I can go ahead with mine. Go ahead. Um, uh, I'd say the, the Spanish guitars do give a, a bit of... Uh, not necessarily independent feeling, but a, a, like a free sort of thing. Yes. A free-flowing, a free-going it, thing. It almost feels Western-ish. Kind of. Uh, I think... Uh, this is a weird case that goes kind of against most of this soundtrack, in that uh, most of the soundtrack to this game sounds weird in isolation, but in the context of the stage, it sounds perfect for the stage. To me, this track, at least in this stage in particular, where uh, Dark Pit first starts attacking you, it sounds almost too freeing, almost too uh, careless, let's say, with yeah. the, the Spanish guitars. So it sounds amazing to listen to this one, independent of the gameplay, yes. but with the gameplay, it kind of feels a little bit off to me, because it doesn't really feel like uh, it matches the personality that Dark Pit has at this point in the game. Uh, I've seen yeah, because at his... this point he's very much more antagonistic than he is uh, at a later point. Exactly, he's kind of aggressive towards uh, the Towards player everyone, character. honestly, even yeah, Medusa. Pretty much. Pretty much. So it she's kinda, like, it hey, I on. like your dark vibe, you should work for me. And he's like, nah, I'm good. You should work for me. Nah, screw you. Um. <laughs> anyways, I do have one thing to add. And I don't know if this is intentional, but given that, you know, given that Motoi Sakuraba is an infamous rock guy, it might be. Uh, mm -hmm. So once upon a time, there was a Swedish death metal band called Dark Tranquility. We've talked about them briefly in the past, um, specifically with Metal Hellsinger and then further back with um, with uh, Solo Man. Can I just note that I, I love when you start your stories with Once Upon a Time and then go into Heavy Metal Story. Right? Well, I mean, this was I kind just, of Once Upon a Time. They formed in the 90s, and this was what I'm about to talk about. It's one of their earliest albums, specifically their second album, The Gallery, which is kind of considered the forefather of melodic death metal as a whole. And there's a two-part song on The Gallery. Mine is the grandeur of Melancholy Burning, which is a terrible title, I gotta be honest. <laughs> But the first, it's a bit that, extra. It's a bit uh, extra, I, isn't it? I usually expect that level of word salad from Japanese bands. Right? They get a lot better over the 30 years of their career. They're still going, by the way. Um, anyway, uh, so the first half of this, which is the mine is the grandeur part, is actually very similar compositionally. It's a lot of, like, acoustic and Spanish guitar. Instead of jazz drum, they have something closer to a timpani. But... I find myself reminded of of this uh, of this instrumental intro to this song in no small way with Dark Pit. And I don't know if that's intentional or not, or just by brain drawing comparisons that aren't there, but I just wanted to throw that out there. 
that is not a song of theirs I'm familiar with because I haven't done a discog dive into Dark Tranquility. It's so. old. This was like 99 or 2001. This is ancient. Yeah, I, I, I might do some research uh, when we're not recording and get back to you with results later on because now I'm curious. Fair enough. And me too. But you know, I can definitely see that there could be external like, influences that help kind of reinforce that character. And But at the same time, I fully understand uh, the point that this isn't as constructed as some of the other rail shooter track because it is at the same time a character theme and a yeah. level theme. Also, I believe this is uh, one of the tracks where there is uh, no harp because it's not about you. Yep. It's about the other guy. I don't remember there being much harp in Pandora. Maybe during the part that uh, apes the main menu. Oh, uh, okay. Aha! Uh, but yeah, let's move on next to the Seafloor Palace. This one. This yeah. is the one where the, the, the experience of listening to this without the gameplay really hurt it for me. I'm oh, with Eddie on this one. I don't think I liked this one too much. Yeah, that first transition, it kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere if you listen to this on a vacuum. I yeah, wanted I that uh, Egyptian-ish sound to last longer, but it stops out, out of all of a sudden and goes into something completely different. It's like mm -hmm. it's like a Monty Python episode where it just goes and offers something completely different and just well, changes have, the music. I have good news and bad news for you. Uh oh. The good news is that the first part of the track when you are flying over the desert uh, is uh, actually a version of the second stage of the original Kid Icarus where okay. you are traveling through the overworld. The bad news is that the uh, desertic influences are very much an addition of this track specifically. And the original isn't an overworld theme at all. Well, it isn't a desert theme at all, because it's another world theme. It's still very good, but it does really feel like they were trying to find a way to fit the Overland theme, because uh, it isn't anywhere else, and they kind of needed to tick that check mark and decided to have some fun with it for sure, but only for like one minute. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know no, about this one. I feel like I was spoiled by the Pandora's uh, Labyrinth theme. This feels not as strong by comparison, just in general. For the second movement's defense, uh, it is very extra, and uh, maybe a bit short to really settle in, but if you're going to uh, put uh, something uh, extra and almost too proud for its own sake, you might as well do it uh, during the parting of the seas. I like, that's a classic like, move. Yeah, I, I kind of like how the the second movement started. I, I think it started yes. with a, a very interesting... Well, 
because of my past experiences with gaming, the vibe I got was sort of a, a piratey vibe. Yeah, because it reminded me of some stuff from Assassin's Creed 4 or Black Flag. I knew that was coming. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it does eventually kind of mellow off a little bit. This yeah, it's kind of like vibe, there is the uh, hook of the second movement that like and the rest is kind of trained to be an accessory for that high note and doesn't really match. Uh, I hope everyone listening has their uh, Ranakel bingo cards uh, ready because this is the <laughs> Ranakel special. I was going to do it at some You point. should see Come the on. waveform I'm looking at right now in Pro Tools, by the way. That looks wild. <laughs> this, this is the Ranakel power hour. It really is. Well, I mean, it's, that's the point. I mean, that's the episode's point. Yeah. Sue me. <laughs> and yeah, no, I definitely agree that there is... Uh, a hard turn, and uh, there is this main high point at the at an awkward moment, and the rest is kind of trading behind. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it, like it, I don't it, hate sort of, this one, but I have a better song from a more interesting song from this very list to compare it to, and it just falls short in that regard. This isn't bad; it's just underwhelming yeah, yeah. i think i and think it's, it's biggest <laughs> and underwater uh, this does not sound like an underwater yeah. theme if i didn't see the gameplay video i would not have called that that's to another check mark for the runakel bingo cards <laughs> well to be fair the water is receded thanks poseidon i do think the at the end of the day for me the biggest uh biggest flaw in this track is that <laughs> it doesn't commit enough to the ideas that I find to be cool. Which are the first movement with the Egyptian stuff. Yeah. And mm -hmm. the start of the second movement with the pirate vibes. And it then it doesn't commit enough to that idea. And yeah. And there's shame. definitely uh, I mean there's no more uh, Egyptian stuff, but there are more piratey uh, songs later on. But I didn't include that because we already talked about that in Music Arcade. And it's space pirates, no less. Um, one last comment. And this yeah. is me being probably pandering at least to Eddie, who admittedly doesn't like JRPGs, but this one's relevant to this situation. And that oh is this. We have a game with an ocean palace and Yasunori Mitsuda on the soundtrack, and my brain is immediately going to that one instead. Because <laughs> that song is an all-timer, the ocean palace from Chrono Trigger. That one's yeah. an all-timer. And I, I, man, just, yeah. Yeah, but it's generally a bad sign when you're listening to a song in context and think, I wish I was listening to this other song instead. It's not a good sign, no. Yeah. This is, this is like, one of the only two songs on this list where that happened, by the way. Like, everything yeah. else really kept my attention, but this one just, yeah. I'm like, I would yeah, rather be listening I've... to Ocean Palace or Grunt Trigger right now. Yeah, but I felt compelled to list this song because, first, the few seconds of uh, early parting of the seas is something that Oh yeah, I that really intro was love. wonderful. I, I wish the rest that, of the song kept up, but that intro is great. Exactly. Uh, but uh, they're not all pure perfect bangers, and I'm perfectly okay with that. Yeah. 
No, there's nothing wrong with that. Having a yeah. negative or neutral opinion is totally valid. You know, we we don't exactly. want to only talk about the best stuff. Lord knows we complain enough about stuff we don't like. Exactly. Remember the anime episode where I deliberately picked two songs I didn't like? <laughs> oh boy. Those oh. were the, those were the days. Yeah. Uh. Now these first five songs are only part of the second act of the game. They are like four of them. Mm -hmm. Because basically they go these nine levels and eventually you fight and you defeat Medusa like in the first game. Congrats, here are some end credits. Oh, why is somebody ripping the end credits apart? Uh-oh. And then you fight new antagonists now that they've settled you in uh, and uh, got you comfortable with what you expected already for the game, which is Fight Medusa's Return. And uh, the result is... Uh, one of the new antagonists being Viridi, the goddess of nature, and her all-organic weapons of mass destruction, the Reset Bombs, as depicted in Wrath of the Reset Bomb by Yuzo Koshiro, which is a very Yuzo Koshiro yeah, track. Yeah, this one's... Track, essentially a Lost Actuator track, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I get that I'm vibe a lot. Um, I didn't have much to say about this. It is a very cinematic sound, and it heads to what sounds like the main theme at 325, but I may have gotten that one wrong. Let me give it a listen. Yep. It, it at least heads to a familiar theme. Maybe it's not the main theme, maybe I shortcutted my notes on that one. Main theme, I'm not sure. It's a very familiar progression three. that I feel like yeah. is part of this, so maybe it's a remix. Maybe it's a remix of another part of the original Kid Icarus soundtrack that I'm just not connecting with for it, some it reason. It does sound like it's probably a remix from something from the NES. It starts at 3.20, I think. Yeah. And it's a very simple melody like you would hear in, in the NES. Okay, days. so then it's probably a completely different remix that I just am wrong as to what it's what is being remixed, but... Honestly, yeah, there's definitely you... influences of uh, past elements, yeah. uh, like many of those tracks, yet they don't get stale, and I think that's a pretty big achievement oh, yeah. for remaking a game, well, following up on a game that had a very small soundtrack in the end. Yeah, I'll be honest, with this one, uh, I think Galen said he didn't have much to say, but his talk about this bit that remind, reminded him of something was more than I have to say for this track. It it sounds nice. Yeah, uh, it's got a very cinematic I, sound. I like it. Yeah. I, I have more to say about the, the concept behind the, the stage than I do about the song because it's the goddess of nature and her weapon, her weapon are reset bombs that are built in a factory. Goddess of yeah, nature, everyone. Exactly. Very much so. And uh, that's part of why she's so antagonistic, at least at this point of the game. And uh, it's an interesting point, if only to uh, vary uh, the antagonists and not even fight the armies of the underworld. They actually commit to that. The enemies you face are completely different. Uh, on the ground and flying levels, and uh, yeah, that's a nice touch uh, throughout this stage. That, of course, given that it's Koshiro as his Koshiro, mm -hmm. 
uh, does get uh, some uh, Star Wars-like touches. Well, I have some comments about the next song that I'm looking forward to sharing, Lunar Sanctum. We'll wait till we get to that one, but I'm, I'm, you mentioned Star Wars, and I'm like, I have a point to make whenever you're I ready. I feel like the point you want to make is basically the same I want to make, so why not jump to that track? All right. Okay. That, that's no moon. All right. That is no moon, except, um, so here's... A, a context that I would not have actually gotten if not for a completely random, lucky event a couple of months back. So, a couple yeah. of months ago, I just got my motorcycle back, uh, and I'm looking to go see some movies. And Bullet Train is out, and I'm like, I should go see Bullet Train. Let's see what it's playing. And I noticed while I was looking at movie times, wow, Fathom Events is doing a 40th anniversary of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Oh. which was composed by James Horner. And I'm like, I need to go see this in theater. When am I going to get a chance to do this? So I go to the Regal at the Dull Cannery and I see this. So that soundtrack was actually like very much in my head. So for Lunar Sancto, I'm like, yeah, there's some Return of the Jedi elements, sure. But there is a much bigger James Horner connection because while I'm listening to this song, it kept trying to go back to the Wrath of Khan main theme. And I realized, wait a minute, he's actually taking inspiration from Horner here. Which is kind of a rare take, and I kind of adore it. That sounds like something he'd do, because it's another Yuzo Koshiro track. Yeah. And he likes his uh, interesting influences, and he, in his interviews in particular, really shows that he has uh, a bit of an engineer mindset in his composition. Mm -hmm. And uh, that shines through nicely. So, him having old sci-fi influences makes perfect sense and serves really well uh, a track when you are ascending towards a celestial body that shoots giant lasers at you. Yeah. That's a brief musical I, number. I, I kind of feel like an idiot because my point was just John Williams. Uh, that's cool too. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of that in there. Being yeah. yeah, I mean, that, let's let's just uh, enjoy the very few Star Wars influences in a, a stage that starts with "That's No Moon," mm -hmm. and yes. where you're running across an equatorial trench in a very sci-fi-esque base on space. Exactly. Yeah. So of um, course it would have Star Wars influences in its track. Yeah, it kind of can't not. Admittedly, it was more like the Return of the Jedi influences, but a lot of these like string sweeps and the way it continually transitions between the villain theme and the main theme back and forth is very James nice. Horner Star Trek too. Like I, I again, I would not have had the context for this on the forefront of my brain if I didn't have the incredible opportunity to see Star Trek II a couple of months ago in theaters and have that in my brain. So I really lucked out on being able to have this take, but it's so clearly there if you know what to listen for. Um, and yeah, I am and so here for it because it's like, yeah, every one of their kid sister references John Williams. We're going to be talking about that in now playing for sure. <laughs> but um. Not other composers quite so often, so I'm glad to see someone else get some love. And uh, on top of that, in the context of the game, I really appreciate that on layered on top of those references, this is way more than just a little reference soup. It also really shifts the tone around between the previous track, 
mm-hmm. which was you being for the last two or three chapters on the defensive from uh, the attack of uh, the forces of nature to now you leading the charge and being on the offensive and actually taking the fight to them. And it really drives that forward with a more warlike tone, even mm-hmm. within the generally uh, very belligerent uh, drums uh, that uh, Yuzo Koshiro employs. Um, yeah, it, a very nicely uh, tied together track. Yeah. With again that weird uh, musical intro that makes no sense unless you hear also Pete's uh, mm-hmm. dorkily singing on top of it. <laughs> Which is left out of the soundtrack version, unfortunately. I like yeah. this one a lot for a whole lot of reasons. This is probably my favorite song. It's either this one or the next one. Like, there are two really good ones. Or maybe Dark Pit. I don't know. This was one of them that really kept my attention. I like this one a lot. All right, then. Let's move on to the next track, which happens again right after, because you've taken a win, but that doesn't mean things uh, have settled down. Nope. With Lightning Battle. Uh, I Sakuraba like in full once... rock mode. This is the yeah, Sakuraba I, I song. Would, that uh, I, was... I, yeah. I would like to once again quote directly from my, my notes. And By this time it's just w- one word. And uh, that word is bass. I There's, like yeah. the bass line. That bass line is really good. So I'm going to quote yeah. from my um, notes here. And that is, right. and I quote, Okay, Sakuraba's full rock. Lots of guitars. Chance of prog rock yes. murder equals high. Cool synth with the guitars. I like it. Man, I miss yeah. this Sakuraba. Where has he been the last ten years? <laughs> and it occurred to me at some point that I have more or less completely lost faith in Motoi Sakuraba, which is really a shame because I do like his work when he's good. But the fact that my first instinct was, all right, well, this song starts good, but I know murder is coming. He is about to kill the hell out of the song. Just go off on a prog rock uh, tangent and kill it. He didn't. So this one's actually like Sakuraba hearkening back to that one like weird rock track in Valkyrie Profile 2 or even further back a couple of tracks from Tales of Destiny 1 where he's just going for it. And it sounds great. Yeah, for a track with battle in the title, it really has this big fight energy mm-hmm. right from the get-go, which makes sense because for the 13 previous levels, you have the same like three-second intro of Pete walking out of the dark inside of uh, the, uh, the Divine Sanctum and flying out of the door. And this time, he starts to dovish it and recalls because he isn't even outside of the door that there's already lightning shooting. And <laughs> being right at his face. And uh, th- that is then supported by the hardest guitar being shot in the very first moment. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's what you're getting into. Enjoy. Yeah. And it exactly. really plays. Also, uh, what's interesting is that uh, there's definitely uh, a bus vibe to this level theme, and that's kind of because part of this track isn't 
truly about you, you're still there, but uh, Phosphora, which is the antagonist for this uh, uh, level, uh, Goddess of Thunder employed by Viridi, mm -hmm. is having her boss fight while you having your level. And, oh, that's uh, awesome. That's why it's very busy, but not messy. It's a three-part conflict with nature, the underworld, and you. And it just fires on all cylinders and keep this fight energy that starts messy. And as the track progresses, especially around the turning point where she actually wins a boss fight, then gets into more of a challenge me if you can tone to it. Mm -hmm. And it's just those kind of progression that this game offers in a way very few other video games offer. Yeah. Which makes this soundtrack very unique. And Absolutely. And it's part of why I love it so much. 100%. And then, of course, there's a whole storm around and there's parts that are calmer because a storm has an eye and you have to kind of pay homage to it. That's, that's part of the... Uh, requirements for that kind of theme. Yeah. And maybe that's part of what kind of reigns Sakuraba in just the little bit he needs to be to not go full prog. I mean, if that's what it takes, it worked really well. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like these problems started sporadically. Like, I mentioned Valkyrie Profile 2. There's another song in Valkyrie Profile 2 that, once again, starts really good... I think it plays somewhere in the Seraphic Eight. It starts really good and then just goes off a cliff. And he's had this habit of every once in a while doing that. I feel like it happens more these days than then, especially with his remixes. Um, yes. The fact that this one kind of hits that sweet spot where he can really play around with the guitars but doesn't lose the plot is actually, like, really incredible. The fact that I fully expected him to lose the plot, mentioned that in my notes, and it just never happened, is very surprising and also very saddening, because, to be clear, I do generally like the guy. A lot of his work is really yeah. solid, but just not lately. Yeah, and I think part of that is uh, tied to uh, an extract from an interview I saw recently about how, basically, the time he takes to compose and have the base of a song is, like, two hours, which isn't enough for me to, like, shop for my groceries. No. <laughs> and so that makes sense that sometimes the idea in his head feels better than what it ends up being for the listener. Yeah. But sometimes you strike gold. Sometimes you strike gold. That, that's um, a big oof. His, <laughs> honestly, his contributions to this soundtrack are pretty much, at least what you've shown off, universally gold, so... Someone was keeping him in line. I don't know who the music director is, but someone was, like, cracking the whip on him when I... I... Uh, he was the music director, I think. What the hell? Where has this Motoi Sakuraba been the last decade? Come on, come back to us. We deserve better than this. Uh, I'm still furious about let... Tales of Arise. Let me double check for uh, what VGMDB says. Orchestra, production stuff. Oh, never mind. Producer Yasunori Mitsuda. Oh, uh, that makes so much more sense. Mits Mitsuda <laughs> is a very tight composer. Okay. Yes. Okay, that makes and a that lot explains, more sense. 
and that kind of explains why he has uh, composed and arranged few tracks compared to a lot of the more prevalent contributors mm -hmm. in this soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Like he, the only one we'll cover that uh, he had a hand on is uh, Palutena's Return. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, so that that makes a lot more sense. I, I if Sakuraba yes. was in charge of this and came out this tight, I'd be like, what? I, I don't understand where this guy has been. But the fact that Mitsuda was the guy in charge and apparently yes, running yeah, a very that, tight ship, that makes so much more sense. So that, that yeah, okay. Yes, the world is right side up. Okay, good, yes. I mean, again, the fact that over the last 10 years or so, Sakuraba's best work was either Dark Souls, which is completely different from anything he's done, so he had less room to experiment, or Tales of Zestiria, which was co-composed by um, Goshida, says a lot, a lot. Yeah, he's one of those people that gains at uh, not being on his own. Mm-hmm. And now for something completely different again, because that's the track from the next level, right? And uh, suddenly uh, another antagonist happens in the middle of uh, your climactic fight against the forces of nature. And you have aliens. Because at this point, why not? This game is exactly. what would happen if Taro Yoko was a sane and well-adjusted individual. <laughs> Honestly, I was just gonna make a Giorgio, a Giorgio Tukalos joke, but uh, yours is better. <laughs> That's the yeah. ancient aliens guy for those in the audience who ah. don't get it. Yeah, no, suddenly geometric aliens and the first part of the level is basically all the previous allies and antagonists going, uh, they're not my guys. Don't so, steal my kills. <laughs> I, once again, have to read from my notes, so this is going to explain basically everything about my opinion of the song. Cool intro. I have no other opinion. I've listened to it twice, in and out of context, and it refused to leave a lasting impression, in one ear and out the other. Huh. I tried on this one, guys. I'm sorry. Well, I have a bit more to say about that. By all means. It I think one of the things that strikes me the most is that compared to the previous track, even the one where you are fighting actual space pirates, this has a, a different instrumentation to it, a different texture that reflects the strangeness of the uh, aliens that are attacking you, but not in the same strange way uh, Pandora's Labyrinth was treated. Uh, they basically managed to uh, take the way these aliens are another thing fundamentally different from the gods you've fought against and for before, while uh, also reflecting the fact that they are an organized force, again shown by their very geometric design, which conveniently saves a lot on polygons, And, uh, yeah, that managed to uh, really show off the fact that uh, this is a whole other deal for from what happened before. 
this is another track where I end up comparing it to a, a composer I'm familiar with, uh, which is someone I've brought up in our anime episode called uh, Kotaro Nakagawa. Okay. Who's done the uh, Gun Sword soundtrack? Uh, mm. I I prefer the Gun Sword soundtrack personally, uh, which is the one thing from his that I've listened to in the past. But this piece does remind me of the few moments in that anime where he had to score for a more clean sci-fi aesthetic. Because just to go do a quick brief summary that the whole thing in that anime is that the world is very western inspired but there are some mechas in in space from an ancient civilization and no Ah, one has been able to replicate that technology so when it cuts to those mechas the soundtrack goes very like clean futuristic sci-fi and that's kind of the vibe i got here Uh, when nakagawa goes clean sci-fi vibes it goes similar to this one yeah, overall, it's very much fitting for a situation where, in this case, uh, you are doing uh, high ancient fantasy stuff, and suddenly there's the Borg. <laughs> You're not wrong. It's uh... lacking a bit in uh, in in catchphrases, but uh, it, it's definitely there. Not enough resistance is yeah. futiles being thrown yeah. around. In a way, this kind of has the same situation as Dark Pit, where it's a level theme, but it doesn't have as many twists and turns because it's also kind of the theme for this enemy force. Right. As depersonalized as it is. Anyway, that's the third arc of this game. And... Uh, Moving on, the next arc happens with uh, the opposite of a bang. Because what happens is that for three levels you fight off the alien invaders, even allying with the forces of the underworld, because for all the, for all of Hades' evils, uh, he doesn't really gain to have the actual planet harvested in chunks. Right. And uh, then you wake up and you are little uh, ring and you possess a girl. And then she drops it and you possess a dog. And that's why it's dog's theme. Exactly. Because that's what happens when uh, the ring is passed down from the girl to the dog's mouth and you can't attack and have to basically navigate your way through a level where another force you haven't fought before attacks the forces of your guys (laughs) I have mixed feelings about this track Uh, I like the track for what it is I like the return of the Spanish guitars and the violins in there it sounds nice I like how it sounds. I am not really fond of how it was used in the game. Because it kind of feels like it was used as a, a bit of a, a comic relief theme. Uh, a bit. I mean, to be fair, this game is like, in its English version, 90% comic relief of whatever is happening. With 
how much they bento all the time. Yeah, it's a very lighthearted game. And, uh... I mean, judging by the, the gameplay videos you the, gave me. Uh, it's added in the English dub, a lot of it. It's more straight-laced in Japanese, from what I've heard, and I like the English language change, honestly. It has a lot of charm. It does. But yeah, uh, so you're a dog, and angels are attacking a city, and uh, you have... Uh, again, the transition between the previous theme and the previous uh, character you controlled, which was this uh, nameless little girl that was just slow and ponderous to control and you couldn't do anything, and uh, the music matched that by being very slow, very kind of like you are trying to push through a thick mist, and then the dog happens to be much more fast and nimble, and uh, that uh, theme as a result is kind of freeing. It's, uh, it's very fancy like that, but also kind of circular. It loops on itself a lot. It does loop very well. Uh, it, it got a bit of a flamenco vibe, and usually yes. that kind of gets a bit old after a while. They don't always loop very well. This one does loop very well. I the the song itself, I I really like it. It's one of my favorites from from the ones you shared with us. Uh, I just. Mm. Uh, part of me kind of wishes it wasn't used for a section that feels like comic relief until Pit gets into his own body. Though at the same time, I kind of feel like an actual comedic sounding track would have got a note really fast. So Yeah, but at the same time, I don't think that's a comedy moment. Sure, you're controlling a dog and you sometimes lose control because you're smelling delicious garbage <laughs> and oh no, the dog is influencing me. But at the same time, you were uh, last time you uh, checked victorious against alien invaders, and suddenly uh, nothing is happening, and your goddess doesn't answer, and you don't have anyone to banter with for the first part. It's a lonely experience compared to the rest of the game, and that's kind of emphasized by how this theme, for all its free instrumentation is more understated than the much more orchestral soundtrack of the rest of this game. And uh, you say you return to your body, you don't right away. Before you do that, you have to get back in the body of somebody who can actually fight. And the answer to that, which is the last theme for this ground level, happens to be an angry Magnus that comes back and suddenly he is very annoyed at you because somebody in your body is causing havoc. <laughs> Turns out all of that is uh, due to uh, attacking the Lunar Sanctum like five chapters back having unleashed an ancient chaos bug that it's God's souls. You know, classic fun shenanigans. Yep. Um, oh wait, uh, there's also the fact that uh, I think it's deliberate then to that to mark the change. They also employed uh, Masafumi Takeda instead of one of their more used composer to have uh, 
a different hand at it and really mark that something's different, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can definitely yeah, hear that. The song sounds different than the others in a lot of fundamental ways, which, again, as you're pointing out, is clearly the intent. Exactly. And uh, that's why with uh, the next possession of uh, Magnus, there's not only a return to a theme that's more familiar, because you've literally heard it before on the second stage of the game, mm -hmm. but also that there's somebody to, to banter with again. Which mm. is why, again, it's a very impactful sequence. And uh, that theme has a tendency to stick in my head every now and then. The circular nature of it. And then let's move on to the last track. The Lightning Chariot Base. Another ground theme, because I think we've covered mostly uh, the air levels and the interesting parts of what a linear level is. Yeah. And then they still somehow find ways to surprise and get some interesting bits in with Masafumi Takara decided to get to weird for a level which has a one-time uh, weird not even truly antagonist so much as point of resistance. You are entering the essentially garage of the nameless servant of a dead god and uh, so there's something again different about it and they really commit to the bit of having instruments and compositions reflecting different cultures and different forces at play and there's a lot of forces and the music helps differentiate them from each other and in this case well it's something that's different from anything you faced before again and uh, there are definitely some instruments that play to that. Mm -hmm. I think there's some buzuki, for instance. <laughs> and uh, some... Uh, either it is actual throat singing in the background, or instruments or things that are made to sound very much like ones, but that really have set up the, the stage for something that's very unique, even 19 levels into the game. Yeah, I um, I listened pretty carefully to the soundtrack that you presented, and I did not hear much at all in the way of live instruments, so I have to assume it's a synth. Well, the fact that there is a pretty extensive orchestra section uh, on the soundtrack as a whole means uh, it suggests otherwise. Or maybe for this track, they went with a more synth composition. It's entirely possible I'm that I'm sure. dead wrong on this one, and you just managed to select a bunch of tracks that didn't use live orchestra for the entire time, thus creating a possibly incorrect opinion on my behalf. It's sort of like um, my cat. I take a lot of pictures of my cat when she's settled in or cuddly, and it kind of creates the idea that she's lazy, when she is actually, like, extremely active and runs around constantly. 
I feel like we may be in a similar situation here where the limited um where the limited exposure I have to the soundtrack as a whole created an impression that may not be correct. Possible, possible. So I'm going to retract that statement about it probably being a synth and go with it. I have no idea. <laughs> I'd have to re-listen to the song and really listen. And I have no clear idea either. And maybe it's the selection. I didn't really pick some tracks specifically, but I couldn't just dump the entire soundtrack on your face. Even I am not as cruel. <laughs> I mean, you say that, but we've dumped whole concerts on each other's faces, so, you know... Yeah, but concerts are not the same. Fair enough. And uh, it's a big soundtrack. And yeah, no, this track is just the one that lives in my head the most, perhaps, because similar to how we said the dog theme was uh, very circular, mm -hmm. this one has uh, also kind of a looping main theme of uh, that. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah. I like the that motif a lot. Yeah. Yes. It kind of impressed and, uh, me with how reflected. well it looked. Because the, yeah. the stage is pretty big. Like, I, I saw oh, yeah, the, no, the other gameplay videos, and there's more breaks on the music for the other stages. This one goes with the same song for a long time. Yeah, to the point where they actually remark on that. Like, one of the running jokes in this stage is that uh, you tell uh, your compartner, which in this stage is Viridi and not Palutena, because Palutena is possessed and Viridi decided to pick you up after you returned into your body from the Ring of Chaos. Simple plot. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you... Essentially, there's a running joke where basically the level is structured as uh, main tower floors and then large stairways on the outside. And the more you climb that tower from the stairways on the outside, the more uh, Pete becomes uh, annoying, asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Insistently. It is one of the larger levels in the game. And again, uh, the sound doesn't we, doesn't feel repetitive, which is yeah. Uh, I think part of that is that uh, the theme reflects not necessarily the dreaminess, uh, but the fact that uh, you are ascending and progressing all throughout, mm -hmm. and it really helps drive you forward and upward in a way that's less heroic than a lot of themes before because you don't have your usual allies, and you are still pushing through. Yeah, it's less of a heroic theme and more of a... Uh, a battle theme where you're winning. Yeah, it's a slow struggle, and uh, you are edging again and again until you get what you want, which in this case is pillaging that guy's ride. And GTA suddenly happens Grand in, Theft Chariot? In, yeah. Yeah, I, I was I was gonna say GTA apparently happens in, in ancient Greece as well. Yeah. Thankfully Pete doesn't get those uh five stars from the cops in the in the corner. I mean judging by the amount of stuff you have to shoot, it kinda of feels like he's living in five star land, so <laughs> 
Although technically you can uh, have less things to shoot, there's an adjustable difficulty thing. Ah. Which is part of why the tracks uh, on the linear levels are synced to the progression in the level more than individual enemy appearances. They couldn't have those bits in because on some difficulty you could have two enemies and some others you could have seven. Which is obviously a big, big difference in terms of what you're capable of. So yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. And yeah, that's the final track I uh, reflected and picked because uh, even the later art, um, because there's another story arc, you still have to clean up after Hades after all. Uh, but there's not really any new development that really feel deserves mention as much as what we've covered in the episode so far. Yeah. But yeah, that's quite a ride. And uh, the diversity in the soundtracks, in the composition, in the composers, really reflects that it's less one story and more four stories bundled into one. Yeah, this game sounds wild, and this soundtrack is really a treasure. I've never deep-dived into this one before, but I'm glad you put this in front of us, because this this led to some discoveries that I'm very happy with. Yeah, and I'm very happy that uh, you say that, because it's a very good game, but one that hasn't been as widespread as more mainstay series. And I think it deserves the recognition, musically and... Uh, uh, in the game itself, because it's got a ton of charm, ton of uh, interesting uh, elements to it, and uh, a lot of content as well. I guess the moral also, of the multiplayer was surprisingly good. I guess the moral of the story is: Can we have a switch port, please? Yes, that would be amazing, and with a sensible control scheme. That would be nice for everything you just described. I think you're asking too much of Nintendo if you're asking for a sensible control scheme. Hey, it works for Splatoon. Speaking of other games, how about we move on to Music Arcade No Playing. Alright, you're gonna get the intro music this time around. He has yeah. taken over the, the podcast after all. Clearly. Exactly. Well, uh, in that case, why don't you go ahead and lead us off? Because usually I'm the one who does. Well, I thought I'd take a brief break from talking about games uh, I've played, but uh, if you want so, no, right. I'll go ahead Click. and start. All right. Okay, go so ahead, uh, we're going to save the best for last on this one. So I've played a few different games over the course of this week. Uh, I've been playing some Rogue Genesia. Genesia? Genesia? I don't know. Um, and it's a Vampire Survivors clone, but with some very interesting gameplay mechanics added in. It's got a Slay the Spire style map. Uh, it's a lot more mathematics based. Um, its visual representation is not Castlevania. It's Super Ghouls and Ghosts, which I think is cool. Ooh, um, now you have my interest. The music is there. It's there. I tried to find a YouTube video of it, and I couldn't even find that. It's literally mostly just drum beats. It The we music is very sparse. There is something. I'm sorry? We can confirm there is something. 
There is something. The music does exist. It is not silence, which is good. Um, Notes and sound waves have happened. Correct. Uh, the next one I played was Alan Wake's American Nightmare, which was the originally Xbox 360 spin-off um, pseudo-sequel of Alan Wake, a game that had a great story and characters and terrible gameplay, so in many ways it reminded me of Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, That's fired. I will continue calling that FF7 Remake's gameplay is for crap. I will always do that. It breaks a lot of rules of 3D action games in ways that don't work. Um, and I will continue to, to make the joke of, of shots fired. Fair enough. Um... And like everything that Remedy seems to do, they hire a band called Poets of the Fall to be their in-game band, the Old Gods of Asgard. And, uh, yeah, the song's good. It's, it's, um... It's deliciously cheesy. It is deliciously cheesy, but that's clearly the intent. Exactly. Yeah. I don't much like the... Like, especially the... coming from me, that is a pure-hearted compliment. Yeah. We, we got you. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the of metal songs with narrated intros, possibly because I was a fan of Rhapsody as a teenager and they did that way too much. They do that a lot. So after the narrated bit, it is really fun. Really yes, cool once song. the guitars kick in, things are good, but I will yeah. fully agree that the opening narration just makes me roll my eyes, but whatever. That's a good song to ride down the road at night. Yep. Um... Or, you know, defend an observatory from Hordes of Taken, that too. Uh, the oh, gameplay yeah, in America too. Nightmare was much smoother. It was a lot more combat-oriented, which I think worked to its credit. This isn't music-related, but it felt like a more fun video game, but the characters and story just weren't as strong. So, six of one, half dozen of the other. Yes. Um, yep. That's what I've heard from it as well. Yeah. Um, then, of course, Arknights has a new event. Stoltafera Novice, The Ship of Fools. Very cool soundtrack. There's a couple of songs on here that I'm half convinced Goshi had had a hand in. It's got a lot of his, like, specific sweeps and bleeps and blurbs. Um, I like it. I I don't really have much of an opinion on it because, um, peek behind the curtain, I forgot to add it until we were in the middle of recording this episode. Which is why I also don't have much of an opinion on it yet. Right. <laughs> Same um, here. So, yep. Uh, so, unfortunately, that's just where we're going to leave that one. And then, of course... It's good, probably. It is good. I've been playing the event, listening to the music in the event. It's good. I we just can confirm can't really... there is a song. Yeah. We just cannot confirm the quality. I think you'll like it. I hope you do, but we won't be able to talk about that till next week. And what then we uh, can yeah, confirm you, you, uh, you're you're welcome for the suggestion uh, slash. I'm sorry we we put you up to that song. Uh, we we don't know. It's I, okay. That was it's a probably weird take. Good. It's probably it's good. probably good. But you know, covering our it's Ark Knights. How many times have Ark Knights put out bad music? Let's be honest here. <laughs> Trust me, if they did, I would have been much stronger about my statement about it. Um, no, what we are sure is very good. Oh my god, yeah. it's actually here. So, Tactics Ogre Reborn is a game that actually exists and I've been playing it. And I streamed it for eight hours yesterday and I don't stream anything for eight hours in a row. Miracles um, do happen. 
and miracles do happen, and my god, the reorchestrated soundtrack is so good! So good. So good. Um, I could just dump this entire soundtrack on people and be like, just listen to it, and you would not regret At it. At first you did, before I pointed out that uh, YouTube Premium lets you unbury... Uh, some uh, playlist search results. Okay, in my defense, the only reason I had a timed entry, like, this was the song I wanted to play, but you're right, no, the search result didn't help. Um, I should probably get onto YouTube Premium. I've been watching YouTube so much on my Apple TV, and I'm just getting commercials, and it's driving me crazy. Anyway, this is not relevant. Um, so, there were a few songs that I was kind of bouncing between. I thought I was good to go with Blasphemous Experiment for a while, which was... The song, uh, which is the theme of Nibeth Lord, which is the same theme played um, during his fight in FF14, and then I just rolled um, my eyes and except, went, we've heard enough of that. Except the way it's reinstrumentated. Re oh, yeah. Uh, Reorchestrated uh, is the word you're looking for. Reorchestrated, yes, that's a word. There you go. Good. Uh, except the way it's reorchestrated is uh, incredible. The choir is uh, more creepy. There's even a bit of horror movie strings yeah. in the background at some point, and it's so good. It's so good, but um, instead I went with one that's an even better remix of an already incredible song, and that's Avila Hanya. At music from a tactics game that is incredibly genre-defining music should not be able to also remind me of Killer Instinct. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> like, um, I don't think that's allowed, but I'm not calling the cops on it. <laughs> I, I, I think Tactics Ogre at this point, for daring to exist in the 21st century with mouse controls... Oh god, I love that it has mouse controls. Um, yeah. I think it earns a pass. Right? Yeah. It could it, do it whatever the... the right to I was, I was gonna say, it gets the right to do whatever it wants with the soundtrack. Does it yeah. want to play the Mario Brothers theme on uh, on ukulele in the middle of a battle? It can do it. Just go to for it. To be fair, the Mario Brothers theme very much suited for ukuleles. I would agree there, yeah. Just not very much for tactics RPG, but they Probably they got not, the right. but Mario vs. Rabbids does exist, and, you know, maybe it's exactly. in there somewhere. It might be. Outplayed. Um... Anyway... Texix Ogre OST, good. Good. Very, very I, good. I think very, very good even undersells it, to be perfectly honest with yes. you. Yes. This is probably the definitive interpretation of already an incredible soundtrack, which is a hell of a thing to say, given the circumstances with, um... Given the circumstances with Square lately. Like, they... Yeah, I am... I am thinking back to uh, the... FF6 uh, remake uh, soundtrack where there were some good slight improvements and some more disputable choices. And then there was but the opera. There, from what I've listened, it's basically here is some genre-defining soundtrack. Now we've added gravitas and impeccable instrumentation and... Just the pure distilled sense of uh, what was felt all those years ago. You know, I was a little surprised, um, but it makes sense to see that Bass Escape, which is Hitoshi Takimoto's music production company, actually getting a front of credit splash screen. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, like given the amount of work, things. yeah, given the amount of work put into reorchestrating the soundtrack, earned. 
Yes. Also glad the voice actors that were also an addition of Reborn got the time in the sun right from the start. Yeah, well. they also made opening credits, which one means it's a full SAG production, and two means it's a full cinematic production, which is mwah, chef's kiss. And given that the plot can be a bit hard to follow sometimes, having the voice work support it is very helpful. Yes, and on yes, top of just being good. I mentioned uh, I mentioned Nymoth Obdelord a little earlier. Keith Silverstein makes an awesome Nymoth Obdelord, and I'm very happy to hear him. Yeah. And that's it for me. Alright, then from one game that has some Keith Silverstein in it to another, uh, Genshin Impact has uh, some new content that isn't a full zone or a full nation or something like that, but there is a new big boss fight, and it is better than the entirety of the region the guy comes from. Alright! Uh, yeah! It's uh, Scaramouche, which is an antagonist that has been set up since two years ago, finally getting a payoff with a boss fight where he is in a giant mech. Does he do the Fandango with a giant mech? I'm sorry, it's the obvious joke, but I can't not say it. Oh, no, don't worry. Uh, everybody does. I know. Those sort of joke. Yeah, no, it's the obvious um, joke. I just can't not say it. Yeah. And uh, the game decided to go the other way and decided if we're going to have uh, a torn apart a guy with uh, parental issues inside of a giant purple mech, we're going to name the achievement for beating the fight for the first time after an Evangelion reference. I was about to say. All right. Cool. And, that, that uh, yeah, no. As far as the track itself goes, it has those uh, technological sounds that make sense for fighting a giant mech, uh, on foot no less, and uh, also the uh, Italian choir, because uh, he is part of the Italian-themed Russian mafia. <laughs> and, what? Uh, okay. It, it's yeah, I thing. guess. Um, well, more accurately, the Comedia dell'arte themed Russian Mafia. Right. Uh, right. So, basically, the Corleone Vich. <laughs> or Corleone Offs. Something like that. Yeah, uh, Vich means joke, son right? of. Yeah. Of? I, I, th I think of actually means son of as well. Anyway, we're going way too far with this attempt at a joke. Yes. Yeah, and. Uh... But yeah, I really love the voice they use for it, which fits his uh, kind of youthful, but inside of a mech, so there's some distortion to it voice, and uh, reminds me weirdly of uh, another theme from a completely unrelated game that's certainly accidental, but uh, there was this uh, track for the first encounter in Beyond Good and Evil, which had uh, a lot of kind of whispering monster voices mm -hmm. in the background egging you on. And there's part of it besides uh, or around the, uh, uh, the main driving voice, which uh, provide a lot of contrast and gives uh, the antagonist a bit more of the haunted nature 
he is at this point of the scenario. It's all very good, and again, I wish the rest of uh, the Inazuma themes uh, were this well constructed, including the main uh, fight against the Raiden Shogun. That's better than this. Wait, a fight well, against then. the Raiden Shogun? I thought she was a character you could actually get. Yeah. Okay. You also find against Tartaglia, and you can play him. Okay, never mind. I forgot what kind of game I was playing here. <laughs> to be fair, for Signora, they uh, held themselves back. Fair enough. Moving on, uh, I played quite a bit of Harvestella as well. How is that? And terrible. Ouch! Glad you ask. Yeah, Ooh. no, that's some of the worst 3D action RPG combat I've played in recent years. Uh, wow. Maybe one of the worst impressions since The Secret of Mana remake. That kind of explains uh, why you picked a, a song that feels like a requiem for the game. Uh, no, actually it's a requiem for something else entirely, because as much as the farming is mediocre and disconnected from the... JRPG action gameplay, which is just kind of bad. Uh, the game's presentations, graphics, and music are excellent. Absolutely impeccable on that aspect. Uh, the soundtrack is annoyingly hard to find. I presume Square Enix is still cracking down hard on the upload. So if by the time we upload this episode, the uh, Music reference is gone from the playlist. That wouldn't be too surprising. But you know, that uh, track is uh, what is a dungeon theme for uh, an underwater path uh, where sirens lived once, but they have all essentially sacrificed themselves, uh, leading to the surrounding voice of them uh, lingering in the area and driving uh, boats to their doom. Meaning that uh, the haunting choirs that have this uh, requiem kind of aspect to them is uh, not only pretty neat, it's also diegetic. Okay. So, very cool track uh, for a game that is I think the best way I've described it as I was still playing it was simply to use a quote from uh, Knives Out. Makes no damn sense. <laughs> Compels me though. Fair enough. I'm onion soon. And then we have the uh, Valkyrie Elysium to Galen's Tactics Ogre. Because that's something I've been waiting for a while and that I am so, so very happy getting my hands on. Oh yeah. No, I, I really enjoyed that game. I played it on the PlayStation a month or two ago. Um, Yeah, it's good. I still need to play the DLC, the... the Seraphic Gate just released yeah. on the PlayStation version. I don't know if it's on the Steam version yeah, exactly. or not. Yeah, exactly. It released at the same time the Steam version released. Oh, cool. Which is the one I'm playing. Yeah. Uh, also, they've added two new difficulty levels, just in case uh, 
you want to flex. I'm playing on hard, which was the hardest at launch, and I'm liking the difficulty balance a lot. Okay. And, uh, yeah, no, the, I have a lot to say on the game, so I will hold back, but I've been loving what I've been so far. Three hours in, merely. And uh, I picked First I wanted to pick a track that oddly reminded me of a Blasphemous Experiments of all things, which was just a field theme, uh, but given how decayed the world is, uh, that's kind of fitting. However, I picked the boss theme because first, subtlety is for Coward, that is my motto, and because um, I think it shows for the more recent Sakuraba works, uh, that's right, you thought I was old Sakurabat, but no. Uh, I believe uh, I made this joke when I talked about the game a couple weeks ago. Or a couple episodes yeah, ago. Yeah, well, I'm making it again, damn it. Understood. Makes <laughs> sense. Anyway, <laughs> please continue. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I think this one is uh, interesting in that uh, it shows that compared to when uh, Valkyrie uh, Profile 1 and 2 came out, uh, he has had some experience, Sakuraba has progressed, and I think it's fair to say that in fighting the giant gods, there's a bit of Dark Souls in there. That, yes, I did hear that very much. Um, yeah, when I first started playing it, I thought the game was more of a Souls-like than it turned out to be. It turned out to have a lot more influence from, you know, Bayonetta and games like that. Um, but hearing, like, the... Yeah, it gives you a lot of tools. It does. Um, and hearing the boss themes, yes, it's very, it's very Dark Souls mode, so, which is unsurprising yeah, given the size and comparative power of these bosses. Yeah, exactly, and the sense of scale, which is very similar, because yeah. for all the, uh, godly powers you wield, uh, the scale of uh, enemies compared to you is very similar, which is why this, uh, boss that's much taller is allowed to have... A little bit of a uh, crushing force behind his theme mm -hmm. as a treat. So yeah, no, so far very happy with uh, what I've heard and what I've played. There's a suitable atmosphere of uh, crushing despair, which is just how I like my Valkyrie stuff. Understandable. I mean, that is kind of the selling point of the game. That's the brand. I, um, hopefully... And the Enheyars uh, have uh, more backstory than any of them in uh, Battery Profile 2 ever had. So uh, I'm very happy with that, because that was the main wrongdoing of that game. I would agree there, but I'd also say they also weren't the focus like they were in the first one. Yes. I understand why they did the change, I just don't like it. I was fine with it since I considered it a different experience and the difference between the two soundtracks really also made that clear, but that's a... We could absolutely get into a whole Valka Profile episode comparing the two main games. Oh, even five games now. Well, that's why I said the main ones. I'm not counting yeah. Covenant of the Plume since that was largely a bunch of remixes from the first game anyway. Yeah. And same for Anatomia, of course. Yes. Although Anatomia had a great mix of 
Mission to Deep Space, and I'm really hoping I... I don't know what to expect on Seraphicate. I'm hoping to hear Mission from Deep Space, but I gotta be honest, considering how different this soundtrack is to the other Valkyrie games, who knows? Exactly. And if they can keep us on our toes, all the better. Fair enough. Well, that's it for today. We shall be back soon. No promises about less Sakurava next time, though. As always, you can check the music we've talked about as well as how to get in contact with us in the episode description. See you next time on Music Sacrament Music Arcade. <laughs> Bye, everybody. See you next time.